weren't here last week or haven't been here in a while or this is your first time, you should know that last week we just launched a new sermon series from the book of James. So this is your hint. It's time to turn to the book of James, which is really at the end of your Bible. It's all the way toward the back. There's a book of Hebrews, which is a really big book. And right after Hebrews is James and then a few little books and then Revelation. So find the book of James while I'm talking and we're going to be there in just a minute. Um, you, you probably should be reminded that last week we opened up the look at the book of James with those first four verses where he tells us that when we're really suffering, we should really rejoice. And that's how he um, decided to uh, get our attention. That's how we decided to get on our good side, by telling us that life's full of suffering and you should like it. Well, that's not exactly what he said, but it's sort of like that. He says that basically you can have joy even though you have trials. And so he launches into this idea of when everything hits the fan, when life gets really bad. And he doesn't just talk about a trial. He talks about various trials. He says when you encounter various trials... One trial after another, after another, after another, like waves that just keep breaking on the beach. When your life is sort of falling apart, when you're feeling extreme pressure, when you're feeling overwhelmed, he says, rejoice because God is using that to build you into the person he wants you to be, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In other words, he makes us mature when we struggle. So, Uh, We do have various trials, and what do most Christians do when they encounter various trials? What do we usually do? Who do we call out to? Yeah, we call out to God, right? We pray. We say, God, I'm having various trials. And then the next thing we say is, get me out of this, right? Lord, I'm in trouble. Lord, it's really bad. Lord, I'm about to lose my job. Lord, I'm about to lose my business. Lord, I'm about to lose my family. Lord, I'm about to lose my life. Lord, help me. Lord, get me out of this. And you would think that James would say, listen, when you encounter various trials, don't worry because the testing of your faith is going to produce endurance and you're going to become perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And if you cry out to God, he will get you out of it. But that's not what he says. Today, God is going to teach us what to ask for when our lives are falling apart. When you go, "Uh uh-oh, I can't handle this. Uh Uh-oh, I need God's intervention. Uh Uh-oh, I need help. And you decide you're going to call out to God. When you get his attention, what are you going to ask him for? And I'm going to just uh, give you a hint right at the beginning just reminding you of a story you're already familiar with. There was this guy named Solomon. Solomon was the son of David, the great king of Israel. And when David died, Solomon was made king. And you may or may not know that when Solomon became king, it was total turmoil. It was like uh, Game of Thrones when Solomon became king. Everyone was fighting for the throne. Everybody wanted to be the king. He had all these brothers. Already a couple of his brothers had risen up against their father when he was alive to try to take the throne. And now these other brothers expect that they should be the ones that become the king because after all, Solomon is the son of Bathsheba and we all know about Bathsheba, right? 
And so there's all this controversy when David names Solomon to be the next king before he dies. So he walks in to this incredibly messy situation. He has brothers who have power who are trying to kill him. And he's got decisions that he has to make about what to do about these guys. And his world is caving in. Oh, and by the way, he knows that he doesn't have a clue how to be king. So he cries out to God, and and God appears to him in a dream. And this is a familiar story, right? And God says, ask anything of me that you want. And Solomon asks for wisdom. He doesn't ask for riches. He doesn't ask for power. He asks for wisdom. In fact, let me just kind of paraphrase. He says, Lord, I am on the throne of my father David, but I am just a child who doesn't know how to go in or go out. And um, I need wisdom to lead your people. And he could have asked for anything, but he asked for wisdom, and God gave him wisdom. Let me just remind you, though, because if you read the rest of Solomon's story, you realize that he messed up his life in just about every possible way. This is a guy who, who the Bible says was the wisest man who ever lived. And with all of his wisdom, he still managed to mess up his life in just about every way you could possibly mess up your life. He messed up his family. He messed up his religious life. He messed up his, uh, his job as king of Israel. He messed up just about everything you could mess up, which reminds us that having wisdom and applying wisdom are two different things, Right? So it's one thing to ask God for wisdom, it's another thing to apply it when he gives it. Well, that's enough introduction, that should give you time, you should be in James chapter 1, let's pick it up in verse 5. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind." Karen, we're just going to let your guy read it. It's okay. (laughs) His voice is so much better than mine. (laughs) It's totally okay. Where were we? Um, So, but verse six, but he must ask in faith without any doubting for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. I find it so interesting how James launches into this thing about asking for wisdom. He's so polite about it. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, like, is there anybody here who doesn't lack wisdom? If you raise your hand, you prove that you're lying. Um... We, we all lack wisdom. He goes, oh, by the way, if there's anybody here who's not as wise as you could be, well, that's all of us. So he's talking to all of us. If any of you lacks wisdom, he tells us what we need to do. Wisdom, you guys, is such an incredibly valuable commodity. It's one of the scarcest things in the world today. And he says you can have it, but you have to ask for it. And you have to ask for it from the right source, and you have to ask for it in the right way, in the right context. But wisdom is essential for successful living. You're not going to lead the kind of life God has in mind for you unless you have and apply wisdom. 
it's one of the most valuable things you can ever possibly get. But knowing that, I wonder if you just think about this past week in your life, how often did anybody offer you wisdom? How often did you turn on the news and they said, well, what we really want to do is give you some wise sayings today that will help you. How many of you were looking on the internet this week and went, wow, this is just a bastion of wisdom. This is, I'm just overwhelmed with the wisdom that I'm getting from the internet. Or if you, if you watch the, uh, the workings of Congress, I guess there's something going on in Washington this week. If, if you watch that, how many of you went, wow, what, a, what an incredible display of wisdom that we're watching here, <laughs> right? Um, or, or those of you who are in school, I wonder if any of your teachers ever say, hey, listen, um, we're giving you a lot of knowledge here, but if you don't get some wisdom to go with this, then you never are gonna have a chance of being successful. I doubt, how many, I doubt that many of your teachers ever say anything like that to their students. The concept of wisdom is as important as it is, as valuable as it is, it's just not at the front of our minds. It's just not a very popular concept these days. In our society today, we don't value wisdom as we should. What we value is information. We love information in our society. The more I can get information, the better. We love knowledge, but it's interesting because just because you have information doesn't mean you have knowledge, right? I don't know if anybody ever told you this, but just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's true, right? And so I know Randy is very disappointed by this, but um, we're inundated with information and we think information is just the greatest thing in the world. And so we love information in our society, but with all this information, there's a huge lack of wisdom. So there's a problem. Before we, before we consider James's answer to our problem, let's really think about it in our society and consider what the problem is. See, it's been said that this current generation of young people in America is experiencing probably the most dangerous youth of any generation up to this point. Dangerous in what way? Well, this, this generation of young people has more access to knowledge than any generation in the history of the world. We all carry a supercomputer in our pockets that basically has access to any information that you could want or need or expect to have. So access to information is no longer a problem. You don't have to go to school to get information. You don't have to go to the library to get information. You don't have to read a book to get information. You just have to have access to that World Wide Web and you can get information. So great access to information, but this young generation has the least access to wisdom of any generation of people in American history. It's interesting. A whole bunch of information without much wisdom. See, um, very few younger people, whatever you, know, whatever you define as younger people, very few younger people have relationships with older people anymore. The generation gap is greater than it's ever been. Every generation, there is a generation gap. You know, I didn't like the music that my kids grew up, in, grew up on and, and my parents hated the music I grew up on and their parents thought Benny Goodman was the devil, right? <laughs> so there's always a generation gap, but what we have now is not only a generation gap, but a relational gap where we divide ourselves by generations these days. And so what we have is young people 
who have incredible access to information but do not have relationships with people who are wiser than they are. And so that can be an extremely dangerous situation. There's a general disregard for the Bible in our culture, especially in public life. Um, That's why an educational system that is designed to present information apart from wisdom is destined to create knowledgeable fools. And we have a lot of knowledgeable fools in the world today. Listen to how Solomon describes the purpose of the book of Proverbs. Just leave a finger in James. Go back to Proverbs. We're going to look up several verses in Proverbs because there's no way you can have a sermon on wisdom without consulting Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1, Solomon, the wise great king, is introducing his wisdom and he's telling us why he's written this book of wisdom called the Proverbs. Chapter 1, verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge, and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles, fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. See, what he's saying is, I've written this whole book of wise sayings because your level of wisdom will determine your level of behavior. He's saying that wisdom and moral behavior are inextricably linked. Look at how he says it. To receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity. Man, if you ask just about anybody in our culture today, how is our culture doing on, let's say, justice? What kind of re- response are you gonna get? There, we, we're, we're messing up big time in terms of social justice. We're messing up big time in terms of criminal justice. Justice is almost like a laughing matter in our society today. And he says, I want to give you wisdom because wisdom leads to justice. Wisdom leads to righteousness. Wisdom leads to right behavior. So wisdom and moral behavior are inextricably linked. And when you separate education from training and wisdom, you end up with a society that doesn't know right from wrong. And, And even if they do know right... They're not motivated to do what is right. So wisdom is becoming a very, very rare commodity. People today have the knowledge of how to make their cell phones do a thousand things for them, but not the wisdom to put their cell phone down and go to sleep. And that, that's kind of the situation that we find ourselves sliding into in society today. But according to James, God seems to think wisdom is a pretty big deal. So the Bible talks about three very distinct things that are related but not the same thing, especially in the book of Proverbs. We see it all the time. The Bible talks about knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, and they're not the same thing. They're related, but they're not the same. Let me see if I can um, help you understand what I mean. Knowledge is the awareness of facts. So knowledge uh, tells me that the new 2020 Corvette has uh, 
you know, 495 horsepower, that it has a top speed of 194 miles per hour, that it has a base sticker price of $59,995. That's knowledge. That is a cool car, isn't it? <laughs> That's knowledge. Understanding involves context. Understanding involves knowing something that that has to do with. So I can know all those facts about the Corvette. Understanding tells me that that top speed, that horsepower, and that price makes it the most impressive sports car in its price range. And wisdom tells me to buy a used minivan. That's the difference. So, so we need all of those things. We need knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Listen, God created this universe. He designed it. And God created you. And he designed you. And he designed you to work well in the universe he designed for you to live in. So we're in Proverbs. Look at Proverbs chapter 3. Just turn the page. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. See, wisdom allows me to walk not in my own very limited understanding. I mean, understanding is the thing that we lack so much of. You could get knowledge, 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 knowledge and never have understanding because for understanding, you need perspective. And, and perspective, God's the only one that has complete perspective. And so, so we're trying to live like, I, you hear me say all the time, that, that we should live with eternity in mind. The problem is we don't understand eternity. You know, well, the best we could do is go, that's like a really long time. That's like four times as long as one of Doug's sermons. That's a long time right? That's the best we can do. We lack that understanding. And because we lack the understanding of eternity, wisdom tells us to trust the God who does have the understanding of eternity. He does know what has eternal significance and what doesn't. So it's not just about being able to make a decision between A and B. It's about the perspective to take the truth of God's word and to understand how to apply it in my life so that I can live the life that he designed me to live. We're still in Proverbs chapter four, verse seven. The beginning of wisdom is this, acquire wisdom. Isn't that cool? That's so right out of the Bible. The beginning of wisdom is this, acquire wisdom. So what's he saying? He's saying, listen, there's going to be many, many, many times in your life when you're going to need wisdom in that moment. So acquire it before you need it. The beginning of wisdom is to be wise enough now to understand that you need to get wisdom. And if you can sort of build up wisdom so that you have intrinsically the wisdom that God has given you, when these times come, when you need that wisdom, you're gonna have that wisdom to draw on. So the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. So that brings up the obvious question. How do we get wisdom? Some of it comes with the acquisition of knowledge and understanding. That's what Proverbs tells us. So, so it is good to have knowledge as long as your knowledge is accurate. It is good to have understanding. 
A knowledge plus understanding leads to wisdom. Some of it comes only with gray hair. Proverbs says that there's some wisdom that you can't get until your hair is gray. So gray hair or missing hair, as the case may be, wisdom comes with that. And so there's some wisdom that doesn't matter how many books you read, you have to live life for a while before you build up this wisdom. You, you know, there's something about us human beings, we have a hard time learning from other people's hard knocks. We, we tend to learn from our own hard knocks, right? And so there's some wisdom that only comes with living a long time, and this is one of the reasons, again, why I think it is such a terrible thing that we in the church, we ought to be working against this trend in our society of the separation of the, um, the youth from the older people because it is so necessary for people who have youth with knowledge and, and uh, energy and uh, fresh ideas and fresh opportunities and all those great things that come with youth, it is so necessary for them also to be exposed to those who have wisdom. And it's absolutely necessary for those who have wisdom to be exposed to people who have youth and energy and knowledge and opportunity. Like, you could be incredibly wise, but if you don't know how to use an app on your cell phone, find somebody five years old, they will help you right? So you, both of those things are needed. I think we ought to be, we ought to be working hard in our, in our church. We have this idea that, that our, like our senior adult ministry at its best would be interwoven with our young adult ministry, with our youth ministry, with our children's ministry, where there are actual relationships that are built cross-generationally because some wisdom only comes with gray hair. Some of it comes from the wise counsel of others, and this is uh, connected to that idea. In fact, <clears throat> you don't have to turn to all these. If you're taking notes, you can write down these addresses. Let me read you a few verses from Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14. Where there is no guidance, the people fall, but in abundance of counselors, there is victory. Chapter 12, verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Proverbs chapter 19, verses 20 and 21. Listen to counsel and accept discipline that you may be wise the rest of your days. Many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. And then let me just read to you from the beginning of the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter one. I wanna read you the first six verses of the book of Psalms. How blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and the leaf does not wither, and in, where, in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so but they're like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. He says, if, you're, if, you, if you wanna be wise, choose who you hang out with. And this is not just a, a, little, a little nod to teenagers. This is all of us. Man, who do you spend time with? Who do you listen to? What kind of articles do you read? What kind of uh, reports do you watch on the television news? 
Who are your friends? Who are the people that you get counsel from? Because he says, if you want to be blessed, do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. We have to decide, and it takes effort to put ourselves in relationship with people who actually can give us wise counsel. This drove me bananas when I was a youth pastor. It was the most frustrating thing, and I, I never figured out how to fix it, but it's just inherent to the life of teenagers, right? They're trying to figure everything out, and they're going through all these changes, and it is incredibly tough to be a teenager, and if you've ever been one, you know what I'm talking about, right? And so when, when you're in those, you know, you're 14, and you're having all kinds of questions and all kinds of, and everything is a big drama, and everything is a big challenge, and I can't get along with my friend because she didn't invite me to her party, and all that stuff is going on. I think, oh, man, what she needs so much is counsel. But where do 14-year-olds go for counsel? Other 14-year-olds. Yeah, that's the challenge. That's another reason why building those relationships cross-generationally, even parent to child, but not only parent to child, I'm so grateful for the young adults who built into my kids when they were teenagers because there's some things that they're not are interested in hearing from their parents. And, and so I praise God for that. But he's saying, listen, if you choose bad counselors, you get bad counsel. And if you follow bad counsel, you're not going to have wisdom and you're going to suffer the consequences. So there's a lot of places you can get it. Wisdom, I mean. And some of it comes from asking God. In fact, as we go back to the book of James, um, he, in just a couple of weeks we'll be in James 1.17, and in James 1.17 he says, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Every good thing that you will ever receive comes from God. Wisdom is a good thing. If you need wisdom, ask God for it. He's the source of our wisdom. And when you ask God for wisdom... How does he answer? He could answer in a thousand different ways. But the one way we know for sure is the voice of God is when it comes from his word. God's word is God's voice. God's word is God's teaching to us. God's word is sure. It doesn't change. He has given us what it takes to live wisely in his word. And so he most assuredly gives wisdom through his word. So we need to be people of the word, or wisdom will always be beyond our grasp. And that's why, let me just give you a hint. We'll take a little side note here. Let me just give you a hint. It's so common for us. I hear this all the time. Um, you know, I'm trying to read my Bible. I'm trying to study my Bible, but I got to be honest with you. Like half the time when I read it, I don't even really know what it's talking about. And I don't really even understand how, to, what, how does it apply to me? It's like I listened to a pastor talk about one of these passages. It's like, how did he find all that stuff in there? But I, when I read it, I just don't always get all that stuff. I don't know what to do, so I give up on reading my Bible. Don't give up on reading your Bible. Here's what you can do. When you open the Bible, before you read the first word, bow your head and pray. God, 
Give me wisdom from your word today. God, make your word come alive in my heart. God, show me how your word applies to my life. God, give me depth of understanding from your word. He wrote this book. He knows what it means. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of the heart of every believer. And so ask him before you read the word. Every time, ask him, Lord, open my eyes, open my mind, open my heart, open my life to your word. So he answers through his word. God gives wisdom to his children who ask for it. And he gives generously and without reproach. He's not holding back wisdom from you. He wants you to be wise. He doesn't reprove you for seeking wisdom. He's not looking to embarrass you. He's not looking to hold you down. There's no reason to be ashamed of your need for wisdom. The fact that you recognize your need for wisdom means that you have more wisdom than most. So don't be ashamed that you have to ask for wisdom. God is ready to give wisdom. But he tells us a context for this asking. Verse 6 begins to tell us uh, when we ask for wisdom, how, what is the context in which that works? Look at verse 6. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This is weird. This is hard. Because verse 5 says, hey, if you lack wisdom, ask God. He gives it to you generously without reproach. But then verse 6 says, oh, if your faith isn't perfect, he's not giving you any wisdom. If you have just a little bit of doubt about anything, just you know, no, no point in asking because you have to ask in faith without any doubt. Because if you doubt, you're like somebody who's driven and tossed. And then he says, you ought not to expect you'll receive anything from the Lord. Well, that's encouraging, isn't it? If, you're, if your faith is not absolutely mountain-moving faith, if you have any doubt at all, then God's not gonna answer? That doesn't make sense. So what is he talking about? Well, we have to start by making sure we don't misunderstand the meaning of the word faith and the meaning of the word doubt. There's so much misunderstanding about the concept of what it means to have faith. But biblically, New Testament faith is really pretty much a simple thing. Let me help you understand it by telling you what it's not. Faith is not an emotion. Faith is not, boy, I really have faith if I feel really good about this. I'm going into this job interview and I feel real, I, I really think I'm going to get it. I mean, I'm just, I'm at peace. I'm not nervous. I can't wait for this. I just feel great. That's not faith. And faith is also not positive thinking or positive confession. It's not, I will get this job. I will get this job. I will get this job. I will all the way to the job interview. That's not faith either. Faith, and we've said this a million times, here's our Grace Fellowship working definition of faith. Faith is believing that God is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do and then acting on that belief. Faith is living as if you actually believed what God says. So simply put, the greatest mark of faith is obedience. If I, if I really have faith in God, my faith doesn't go just to my head. It actually works its way out in my life, and I actually obey what he says. So we got to ask for wisdom, right? But if we're going to ask for wisdom, we have to actually use the wisdom that he's giving us. That's what he's talking about, about asking in faith and not doubting. Doubt is the unwillingness to put into practice what God tells us to do because we're not sure we can really trust him. 
So remember Jesus' parable? He, he tells this parable about uh, the two builders, right? And the one builds his house in the sand and the other one builds his house in the rock. And of course, the wind and the waves come and the guy who built his house on the sand, his house gets destroyed. And the guy who built his house on the rock, he is the guy uh, whose house survives. And then when Jesus explains it, he, he basically says this. It's a paraphrase. You can find this in Matthew 7. Here's what he says. He says, um, the wise man is the man who hears these words of mine and obeys them. And the fool is the one who also hears these words of mine but does not obey them. So, so faith, this faith that, that makes the difference between a foundation that will hold you and a foundation that won't has to do with actually believing God enough to be wise enough to actually do what he calls us to do. The life of faith is a life of obedience. It's a life of wisdom. That's why James says that we have to ask in faith. He means that we have to actually believe God. We have to actually trust God enough to actually apply what he gives us when he gives us wisdom. And if you're unwilling to apply the wisdom of God, he says you're a double-minded man. You have half of your mind in flesh, in the flesh, and half of your mind in the spirit. It's like a person trying to walk across a canyon that is ever widening with one foot on each side. There comes a point where you fall in the hole, right? And he says if you're, if you're double-minded that way, you're unwilling to trust God, then uh, you're unstable in all your ways. The waves and the wind are coming in your life. And if you're unstable, you're gonna get knocked over and washed away. That's Jesus' parable. So we have to be willing to receive God's wisdom and act on it. That's good advice at the outset of the letter because throughout the book of James, God is going to challenge us to actually take him at his word and do the things he's telling us to do in very practical areas of our lives. James is gonna challenge us to apply God's wisdom. Apply it to the way we behave, to the things we say, to the way we deal with trials, to the way we deal with other people, the way we struggle against temptation, and on and on it goes. In the book of James, here's what you do. Apply God's wisdom. We have to resist the temptation to pray for wisdom and then act like a fool. We have to resist the temptation to pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit and then walk in the power of the flesh. We've got, to, we've got to be not like the guy who asks God to make him pure on Friday, but to wait until Monday so he can enjoy the weekend. That man's a double-minded man. He's going to be unstable in all his ways. He's trying to walk in two directions at once. It's impossible, so don't do it. That road won't take you where you want to go. About, uh, let's see now, nine years ago, uh, Christy and I had our 25th wedding anniversary, and, and we went on a cruise. So the only time we ever went on a cruise, I highly recommend it. Uh, I was 140 pounds when I got on the cruise ship. <laughs> we went on this cruise, and it was great, and it was beautiful weather, and we had the time of our lives. There was one day out at sea where there was a storm, and it was a doozy. And I'm telling you, we're standing on the side and waves are not just, not like swells, but breaking waves, breaking into the side of the ship. And, and I, I leaned over the side with my little 
phone and I was taking video of what it looks like when the wave hits the side of the ship and the, and the water just explodes and the seas are high and it was wild. Do you know what effect it had on the ship? None whatsoever. Made no impact on whether we arrived where we wanted to arrive. It made no impact on whether we arrived on time. It went right where the captain wanted it to go in spite of the storm. But what if we had been on a 12-foot catamaran? We've been in that same storm, right? There, there comes a time when you're on a sailboat where the, the sea is so rough and the wind is so strong that it doesn't matter what you want to do. You have to take down the sail so the mast doesn't break in half. And you have to take your hand off the rudder because you don't get any say in where the, the boat is going. And you know where you're going to end up? Wherever the storm wants you to end up. You are not in control. You are driven and tossed by the wind to whatever place the storm takes you. Listen, we all face storms in life. We saw that last week in the first four verses. Some of those storms are real monsters. In last week's message, we said you will face various trials. There is no question about that. The only question is whether the storms will mature you or whether those same storms will capsize your life. When you're hit by a storm like that, you better ask God for wisdom. And then you better use the wisdom of God and apply it in your life, or you're in big trouble. You will find that wisdom in his word. You will find that wisdom from godly counselors who know his word. You will find that wisdom from making good use of knowledge and understanding, much of which is found in his word. And you don't have to wait for the storms to get wisdom. Remember what we said, Proverbs 4, 7, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Now's the time to get wisdom, my friends. Now's the time to put yourself in relationship with people who are wiser than you. Now is the time to start changing what you watch, listen to, and read so that you're gaining more wisdom instead of being dragged away into the world's way of thinking about everything. Don't wait for the school of hard knocks to give you wisdom. Seek God, ask him for wisdom, and then live according to the wisdom that he gives. Because look again at verse 5 as we close. James 1, 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. I love, 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 love to read. I love to read. I love to write. I love to preach. I love the power of words. I, I, lo I love the English language. And I couldn't care less about mathematics. I don't understand quadratic equations. I don't remember the Pythagorean theorem. I don't know the first thing about calculus. See, I had a high school algebra teacher who constantly humiliated me in front of the class. And his idea of good teaching was if I asked a question, he made sure that everybody knew how stupid that question was. And he mocked me and he teased me and he treated me bad and he humiliated me again and again and again. I took two math classes in high school because that first math class was so bad. And guess who the teacher was for the second one? Same dude. And he treated me the same way. And I learned to hate math. 
And so I went through high school, graduated with honors, and got a D and a C in math. Those are my two bad grades in my high school years. I got a D and a C in math. It was the same class. I had to take it twice because a D wouldn't stand up for college. Same guy, same outcome. But I had an English teacher who loved English, and she loved her students. And she made Shakespeare come alive to me. She made me think Chaucer was amazing in the Canterbury Tales. And, and because of her, I was encouraged to use my intellect to write really well and not just well enough to get by. And, and she talked to me about, about the gift of my intellect and how if I used it and applied it, that I could be incredibly useful to society. She knew that I was a Christian, that I wanted to be a pastor, and I don't even know if she was a Christian, but she told me, listen, if you want to have an impact, you're going to do it with words. And, and she taught me to love English. Because of her, I majored in English in college. I did not take another math class my whole life. I have a master's degree, and I did it without any math. That is wisdom, by the way. <laughs> I figured out where the loopholes were. I jumped through them, and I said, yeah, give me my degree. And I didn't take any more math for the rest of my life. Now, listen, if you're a math nerd, God bless you. I'm, sure, I'm so thankful you are here in this world to design our buildings and do all the stuff you do. Thank God for you. I'm just telling you, I could have been one of you. And I can't blame my teachers completely, but I can tell you it had a huge impact. Because of that English teacher, I majored in English in college. Because of her, I have over a thousand books in my office and people go, wow, have you read these? And the answer is yes. I love them. And James says that God is not like that math teacher. He's like the English teacher. If you need wisdom, come to him. He's not interested in embarrassing you in front of the class. He's interested in lifting you up and helping you become who you can become. He gives generously to all who ask in faith without any doubting. He gives without reproach. He's not going to shame you. He's not going to chastise you. He's going to help you. So if you lack wisdom, ask of God, James says. And later, James is going to talk to us about this. Let me just close with this. Do you lack wisdom? Perhaps you do not have because you do not ask. James makes it as simple as that. What's holding you back from walking in wisdom? Is it that you don't ask God? Is it that you do not surround yourself with wise counselors? Is it that you do not take his word seriously? Or is it that you believe what he says, but only enough to impact your brain, but not enough to impact your life? You do not have because you do not ask. If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask of God who gives to all men generously and without reproach and it will be given to him. Let's bow our heads. Father, we just want to thank you so much for your faithfulness, your goodness. 
We want to thank you for the way that you have um, entrusted us with your word. We come to you now as a bunch of people who lack wisdom. Father, everyone in this room, everyone within the sound of my voice is in need of more wisdom. And, and we are facing trials. And there are more trials coming. And so we come to you now, obeying your word from James chapter 1, verse 5, and asking you for wisdom. But Father, help us to ask in faith. Help us to believe so much that we will actually apply the wisdom that you give us. Don't let us be ruled by doubt anymore because that makes us unstable. Father, we pray that you would give us what we ask out of your goodness, out of your faithfulness, and because of what Christ has done on the cross. For it's in his name that we pray, amen.